Welcome to Access Your Leadership, where we share inspiring career stories and talk about the ways you can level up your own leadership potential. I'm your host and coach, Akeem Lockdar, and today's topic, friendship, leadership, and following your passion. Joining me today is my brother from another mother, Ian Bly, owner and CEO of Moonshine Media Group, a video production company focused on documentary filmmaking and motion graphics. Ian, so awesome having you on the show, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. So as we were talking about before, I always start every episode asking my guests, what is a big leadership win that you are celebrating? Right now, I'm celebrating having gotten 21 million views on a huge production on the trailer for the production called She Creates Change in just over a month. Whoa. How many million? 21 million. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. yep. And we also got, uh, thank you. Thank you. And we got 392,000 likes, which is really huge and gained 12,000 subscribers for the channel. Wow. Is it on YouTube? Yeah. 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 Uh, she creates change official trailer. Nice. All right. I'll, I'll drop the link in the show notes for people if they want to check it out and we'll, uh, we'll get that number up with my, my millions and millions of viewers and listeners. <laughs> awesome. So I love that you get to be on this podcast with me. I know your story and I love your story and I love you. And I like the fact that you get to share a little bit about yourself and your journey and who you are as a leader in the time that we get together on this podcast. So if you don't mind, tell the listeners, like, who's Ian Bly? What's your story? What's the journey been like for you? Yeah, I uh, grew up, as you know, about a mile from you in (laughs) South Florida and went to Florida State and studied art. And about the last year before I graduated, somebody named Stuart Robertson joined Florida State. And you would know his work from Back to the Future 2 and Terminator 2 and The Abyss. He did all the the visual effects for those films. And he also got an Oscar for doing the visual effects supervising for What Dreams May Come with Robert Williams. Um, And he joined the film school. And only because it was art, None of the film students could take it. And I don't know if you know this, but Florida State has a really competitive film school, so it's really tough to get into it. But in this special situation, he could only accept art students. So I tried out for it. They only allowed five people into it, and I got into it and sort of side-doored into the film school, which was pretty amazing. And I ended up taking that class and staying at Florida State for an extra year because I loved that class so much. And then from there, I moved out to Colorado for 20 years and became an adult. What were you doing in Colorado? I uh, went to Telluride, Colorado first and uh, worked for a TV station called Plum TV, where I told them, um, so 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 Stort taught me all these amazing things, right? Because he was doing visual effects before there was computers. He was painting on, you know, on glass and doing all kinds of crazy things. And so the one most valuable thing he taught me was something called fakery. And that's where you go into a job and you tell them you know how to do something and then you figure it out as fast as you can. And he's had to do this his whole life. And uh, if you think about like, if you think about the executive for Google, right? Nobody is qualified to be the executive for Google. There's no, what's higher than that? You can't be qualified for that job. So you're going to have to fudge it, you know, and then you get in there and make it happen. So I got to tell you, right. And, and, um, applied for this job at Plum TV 
And I told them that I was uh, a producer and an editor, which I'd never used editing program before in my life. And uh, I called up store and I said, hey, pal, I, I did this thing and I said this. And he said, all right. And it was all BS. And uh, and then they had me edit something in front of them, which was crazy because I was using the software for the first time in front of these people that have used it a, a hundred times. And somehow I got the job and that was my first job in TV. And it's funny because you say fakery and I think to myself, what's wrapped up in that is uh, a strong sense of self, confidence and belief. You know, I mean, you, you're not going to go in and claim that you can do something that you can't do if there isn't at least like a, a shred of evidence that you have the capacity to learn that or to do that or to grasp that. And also just the, the comfort of the slim chance that you, you won't be able to figure it out and you may fall flat on your face and that's okay is really powerful because I don't think we're advocating for anyone to go around like completely altering their resume and claiming that they do things that they don't do. But it's like that Adam Sandler speech that he gave recently at the uh, Kennedy awards. I think it was a lifetime achievement award. The last line of his speech was keep lying to yourself. And the idea is like, is it really lying to yourself? If you're just claiming that you can do something, if you haven't yet done it. I mean, well, you know, what's so fun about filmmaking is that every film, every project we go into, we've never done that version of it before, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're saying we can do something that we haven't done yet because Every film, every project is new. It's it's different. So there's no way that you can say that we've done something that, you know, like everything's new. So it's that same sort of idea. But I got to tell you, um, I'm telling you about the time it worked. I mean, I, I've tried this when, when it didn't work, you know, before I went to the, to the TV station, I went to the newspaper, you know, because I figured, you know, whatever, graphic design, I'll figure that out. And I totally flopped. I went in there. They same thing. They had me sit down in front of InDesign. I've never used Adobe InDesign before. And I sat there and I was lost. And then they sent me home and I was like, whoops. And then I did it again at Plum and it worked. So where did you go from there? After working for the TV studio, where'd you go? Yeah. Um, let me think about that. Uh, I went back home and I learned web design. And I... Started doing that. I started doing web stuff. I got burnt out from the video stuff. They abused me. I was getting paid $28,000 a year to do live TV. I was the director. Um, I told them I could do so many things and they kept giving it to me and I kept doing it. And then I worked too many hours and I burned myself out. Yeah, careful what um, you so wish I, for. I went, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yo, do, do less, do less. And I was getting paid, to, think about this, $28,000 a year. I mean, think about that. That is like no money at all. And so, yeah, so I went home and I uh, decided to uh, to learn web design. So I learned, so I went to vocational school and and they wanted me to go through their whole career thing, you know, and I was like, no, no, I'm going to be here for a month. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And then I'm going to leave and I don't care about your little certificates or whatever, because I I know how to use Photoshop. I can make those myself. Thank you. That'll be, that'll be fine. And uh, what was funny about those classes was the teacher that was teaching the HTML class, she was learning it as she was teaching us it and because i was trying to buzz through it faster than than the class was running for it because the class was running for three months and i was trying to do it a month i actually passed her after a week and a half which made her incredibly insecure and we i'd have a talk with her i was like look 
I don't care that you don't know this stuff. Um, just keep keep doing what you do, and maybe I can help you. And I just I don't care about. It. I just want to get through the curriculum. So she started using me to help people, and we got through it. And I started a business from there um, with somebody I met there because uh, all of a sudden in a week and a half I was like past the teacher and. Um, you know, I was, I was helping everybody. So I started a web business from there. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so long ago, but ultimately in 2016, I started a Moonshine Media Group, which is the company I have now. Um, I think I did a lot of freelancing for video and web. Oh, I think I, I grew pot for a little bit somewhere in there. I just been all over the place. Really. It's been, it's been a fun ride. So clearly you've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of different things. What had you finally land on starting your own production company and going full bore in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I really love filmmaking. I was doing it all myself when I was doing the freelancing, but I realized at some point that I couldn't, like in, in an hour, I could only make a certain amount of money, right? So say I was charging $75 an hour. In that hour, I could only make $75 an hour. That was it. And so I realized that I need to hire other people um, because if I'm getting jobs and hiring people out, then I can I can make more in that hour, right? And so me doing the work actually is not, um, you know, it's 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 not plausible for the for the for the amount of money I want to bring in. So uh, so that was one piece of it. And another thing is, is I worked when I was doing web design. I worked for the conference company, and my boss Tim Myers. He was an amazing boss. He was amazing. He taught me so many amazing things, and he was the project manager of what we were doing. And when he was my boss, I thought to myself, I want to do what this guy's doing, because I love what he does. I love who he is. I love you know. I I love everything about this. And so I think that I think the combination between wanting to make money, money is always a big thing, but. But wanting to be the, you know, like Tim is really kind of what propelled me into that situation. And, you know, I've gone to, as as a leader and as as somebody that, you know, I'm the boss of people. I, I tried, I, through my life, I've always been, I've, other than Tim, all the bosses before Tim were just terrible, 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 terrible bosses, you know. And I, and I try to be, I try to treat others how I was never treated before, aside from Tim. Um, like when people like I, I, there's, I have countless examples. I can't think of anything right now, but uh, I, th there's so many terrible bosses out there. There's so many people out there that don't deserve to be in the spot that they're in. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Well, and I like the way that you said deserve, because I think it is a privilege to be leading people and be a decision maker and have that quote unquote power to impact and influence in that way. And when it's not used in the right way, it's devastating. I mean, it's devastating to people. I was, you know, I did a post about this recently and I was on a podcast and someone asked me why leadership coaching. And I answered with, because I can't stand seeing people unhappy at work. And when I see people unhappy at work and really impacted by a negative work situation and you follow it back, it usually trails back to poor leadership. So when you think about the, the leaders that were terrible and left that kind of impression on you, obviously you learned something about what not to do from them, but what was it about Tim that you gave as an example of an exceptional leader? What was unique about his leadership style? What was it about that leadership that was so different than all the other terrible managers, but created for you this experience of 
loving what he did and how he did it. What was so special about that? There's a couple of things that stick out in my mind. Um, one of the things is that he was super compassionate. He was like, really, like, if I didn't bring it, because we were doing web design, right? And if I didn't bring it, he was totally cool in next version, you know? And another thing that I remember from Tim is that he didn't care. He did not care about, like, he he, he was, we were going to do every version. We were going to do versions until it was good, you know? And there was never a weird feeling about it. Like, there was never any, like, uh, any, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There was, it was, it was never yeah, like. Fear of failure or. You never, yeah, you never made you feel bad for not mm -hmm. turning a good version. He was going to push it. If it took to for, for a version 40 to get exactly how he wanted it, mm -hmm. he was going to go there and feel good every version. Every version, good vibes all the way through. And that that I respect because that's that actually plays a huge part in filmmaking and filmmaking. The versions are unbelievable. And it's with music making. It's unbelievable. You could do hundreds of versions. It's crazy. And there can never be a bad feeling about it. It's just like, let's go. Let's do it. What else? What else? What else? What else? So that was it. That was a huge piece. Um, and also, he taught me a very valuable thing that I still use today. And it's the fact that when you hire people, you don't hire people that are less than you. You hire people that are more than you. And I didn't understand that before Tim because I was always taught and maybe it's Florida or America or however, or maybe it's the young way of thinking because when you're young and you're coming up, you have to be less than people. But normally people hire people that are less than them and then they teach them and they're over top of them. But what Tim taught me was that you want to hire people that are better than you so that they can teach you something which I only do now. I only hire people. If anybody I hire can only do as good as I can do, I, we can't do, we can't do business together. They have to be better than me. Yeah. And that's a, uh, you know, a lot of people hire because they're insecure. They're insecure yeah. and they hire people that are less than them, but then you're spending more time training them and, or, or teaching them how to do their job. I don't want that. I want somebody teaching me how to do something, me learning something, me, when I get a job and I tell the client I'm going to do something and then they blow them out of the water, that's that's what I'm looking for. Well, it sounds like a great leader. I love I love all of those. I mean, compassion for me, anyone who knows me knows compassion is a big thing because, you know, compassion for ourselves, but also compassion for those that we lead. Um, compassion doesn't mean, you know, hugging and showing deep affection for everybody all day, every day at work. But compassion is understanding that we're people and that we're doing our best and that we appreciate acknowledgement and recognition and praise and support. And that feeds right into the next one of not creating this culture of like fearing to fail, which a lot of organizations do. They scare people into doing the best or producing the best product based on fear of failure. Like if you fail, you're out of here. So I'm going to get my best work from you because you don't want to lose your job. And it's like, well, what kind of a healthy environment do you think you're creating with that culture? And I think that only lasts for so long because that just feeds into very much like that churn and burn model where people are pushed to do a certain level of work for a certain amount of time. And then eventually they're just burnt out and they leave. And then the last one, I think the number of posters you see on the wall and and memes about this being the smartest person in the room and not needing to be the smartest person in the room is huge. I think you nailed it. I mean, when you said insecurities, it all comes from a place of insecurities. 
a lot of what we do comes from a, a place of insecurity. It's what drives a lot of our behaviors, that fear and that trigger that then drives us into some of our vulnerabilities. But that all comes down to ego too. It's this need to maintain a certain image of ourselves. And if you come in knowing more than me, then you're potentially a threat to the image that I've built of myself and the way that I wield that power and exert it over others. And it's like, no, 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 no. If we're really trying to all work towards the same goal here to be our best selves, to build this company, to put out our best product or service, I want the best around me, even if the best is better than me. Oh, 100%. It has to be better than me. I'm wasting my time if I hire somebody that is less than me. It has to be better than me. Yeah. Like, I want to learn something. Teach me something. Teach me a better way to do things. Yeah. I know that my way is not the is not the best way it can be done. It's it's a way to do it, you know. But there's always a better way out there, and, and it's just a waste of time hiring people that that are less. Now, I I hold myself at a standard, you know, and so that's that's nice because I can recognize when somebody's at my level. But that's not good enough. I need them just a step above my level, mm. which puts them in a pretty cool spot. Yeah. And they got to be cool. They got to be cool people too. I can't, <laughs> you know. I don't care. I don't care how talented you are. You have to be cool. That is it. That's Got to be cool, talented, and know how to follow directions. Those are the three kickers for me. Yeah. Yeah. How do you now infuse what you've learned into how you lead your teams? And I know you've had some really big, I mean, especially in that recent project that you were talking about, that was a global project and you had teams all over the world at various points in time. So how are you showing up now as a leader based on what you've learned through your own experiences? Yeah. I mean, you know, I just try to do, I try to be, I try to teach, I, I try to do every situation from a place of love, you know? Um, I mean, this last project that lasted about a year and a half, which was fast. There's six films. We did six films in a year and a half, which is super fast. And it was a tight budget. It wasn't like we we're cutting a huge profit off of it. We did okay. Um, but we needed everybody we had. And it was during COVID. People would get COVID and leave for you know, and you would, you would, you would, you would be screwed. You would be absolutely screwed because they were gone, and it would stress you out. And you couldn't tell them that. You had to tell them, take your time, take as much time as you need. Your health is more important than anything. That mm. you'd say that, and you want them to think that. But deep down inside, not even that deep down inside, just one step before you're like, you're screwed. You're so screwed. You're not going to be able to find somebody in such a short amount of time. You're going to have to shuffle some things around. Nights are done because you got to do their work and everything. And you're, it, it's so scary and crazy things are happening because you can't stop at production. It's like a, a speeding train and trying to slow that down. But no matter what, no matter what, you still always have to maintain that that your people matter more than anything and that their health matters. Even if that you telling them take as much time as you need, even if you know that's going to screw you, mm. you still have to do it. There's no exception because if you treat that in any other way, they're not coming back. Yeah. But if you treat that right, they're coming back. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's, you just gotta, you gotta still people, yeah. no matter how much it hurts, you still have to do the right thing always. Yeah. It reminds me of the Simon Sinek quote of leadership is not being in charge of people, but actually taking care of those in your charge. You know, and yeah, and what you're talking about is caring for your people. I mean, to be in that oh damn moment where you're 
thinking to yourself, what do I do now? This is going to be a bit of a scramble. It would be easy to take that all out on the person who's creating that disruption or force them or give them an ultimatum or whatever it might be. And like you said, that's not coming from any place of love for sure. And you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you're jeopardizing the relationship with a talented person who's not going to want to come back and work for you when they are able to because of the way they were treated. And it's not what you would want. If I'm sick and I call everybody up and I tell them I'm sick and they need me there, you know, I want them to be like, take your time, take all the time you need. You know, are you sure? Dude, your health is more important than anything. Seriously, it's all good. Seriously, it's all good. That's what I'd want. And so that's what I deliver to people. Yeah. If if I was to make feel bad because I was sick, I would hate, I would hate that that's that's a virus. I'm done. Have you experienced that before? Oh, t- tons yeah, of so, times. Tons so of you times. Know what, yeah, you yeah. know what it feels like. Right. Life. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I another thing that just came to mind that I forgot about. So during the myths of all these films, because we were in so many countries, it was it was like the depths of it. My right hand man, Nate Gus, who's been with me for six years. I mean, back when Moonshine was losing money, you know, he was there with me the whole time. I mean, he's like my business partner that has none of the tax responsibility and he's just top notch, but he was working so hard and you could tell in his voice and you could tell in his demeanor that he was hurting, but he had so much work piled up that he couldn't take a break and he couldn't get away. And I, and he was working through the weekends and I was just like, dude, you got, you have to take a break. Like, I know that we need this, but, but you have to stop. And he, he kept pushing, pushing, pushing. So I had this idea. I was just like, fuck it. I'm gonna make Nate day. Right. So I told everybody, I told everybody, all the producers and everybody, the directors and everybody I told everybody that Friday, whatever day, June, you know, 13th is Nate day. And then I told everybody, you're welcome to take the day off. Um, but this day is Nate day. And then I told them, this is your day, buddy. This is Nate day. It's official. I have it in the calendar, Nate Day. And then I gave him a few hundred dollars. And I was just like, here, this is for you. Tax-free, just gave it to him. Like, this is for you. Go do something fun. And I guilted him into a situation where he had to take the day off. Like, I made it so he couldn't be like, no, I can't. I I made a situation where he was going to be blocked by everybody. Where he, like, every time we had a call, I was like, what are you going to do for Nate Day? And I put him in such a situation where where I made him take the day off and I gave him enough money to have a good day. Um, And I really, I love that. I've never heard of that. And I don't know where that came from, but I love that I did that for that guy. And, and and maybe somebody will do that for me one day. I don't know. It's a great story. I like that. I was having a conversation with a client earlier this morning and we were talking about the sort of the more positive side of knowing what your employees need more than they do sometimes. And this isn't like a, I know better than you, or I know you better than you know yourself, like, you know, ego thing, but actually recognizing the person behind this role, recognizing the impact that the work has on them and their life and saying, look, in my capacity, this is something that I'm seeing, something that I'm experiencing and something I can do something about. So let me help you. And checking in with employees, I mean, just checking in is sometimes enough, but then to go above and beyond by saying, look, I'm checking in on you and I'm going to put you in a position where you can't say no to me. This is something I really want you to do for you. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make you feel good. And we're all going to be better for it. Like go 
go and do this. I think a lot of leaders see their roles very much as check the box. Like, cool. I did all my leadership checklist stuff today. Let me punch out and, and go spend my money or, or go live my life or do whatever I want to do. And they forget that the people working with them and for them and around them are working to create that life for the leader, to create that space and that progress and that prosperity and all of that comes with running something, whether it's a team or a department or a company. And I love hearing stories of leaders who go above and beyond and, and actually see their role as in service of the people that they work with. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm I'm there to make sure that they're feeling good. I mean, the other thing is that we're doing art, right? And so when you're being creative together, like if there's any if there's anything going on in anybody's mind, you everybody's be like, oh well, there's a wall up. What's that wall? What's what? Uh, so you, it's got to be clean, 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 clean. There's yeah. got to be clean. The money's got to be clean. Everything's got to be super clean. It's what allows the creativity to flow. And me being a a really sensitive person also helps with that because I can tell on the phone. I can tell if they're smiling or they're not feeling good. And if they're not feeling good, I want to find out why and how I can do to make them feel good. It's so important to me that people are feeling so good because when they're feeling good and I'm feeling good, together, we just like the energy just drives. I got another leadership um, thing for you where a story where Nate was having a hard time. You know, his dog had passed away and he was having a little bit of trouble and he had missed some some deadlines on some jobs, right? And he came back and apologized for it. And he's just like, don't worry, boss. He goes, I'll pay for it. I'll pay because I was going to lose money because of it. You know, I need to pay more money. And I didn't let him pay it. I paid it. And I told him that the reason why I'm paying it is because now he's more valuable to me because he made that mistake. Because he made that mistake, he'll never make that mistake again. And therefore, he's worth to me more an hour than he was before he made that mistake. So I'll, I'll cover this and this, well, this is your education, right? And so I, I like that where mistakes are looked at as a positive thing, not a negative thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know me, I'm always pushing the book and, and the ideas around like the, the obstacles, the way, I mean, that you can swap yes, out that's obstacles. Exactly comes from. You can yeah. stop, you can, you can swap out obstacles for mistakes and mistakes are the way to learning more about you and the world and best practices and all of that. And without them, I mean, I was at a conference uh, in Santa Monica a few weeks ago, last month, actually. And I remember in my notebook, writing down l- losses teach you who you are. Um, and that's where a lot of the learning occurs. You're not learning from your wins as much as you are from your losses. No, no, you're not learning anything from your wins. That's the, if you, if you make, if you make something and it's amazing the first time, you know, you're screwed. You'll never be able to repeat that because <laughs> you, you didn't, you didn't learn anything. You're going to, those one hit wonder, those poor, poor people that made that song that, that went off the charts. Yeah. They're going to have to start from the bottom. So thinking about obstacles, what's an obstacle? What's a challenge that comes to mind that you had to navigate from your leadership role and that you felt like you navigated well? Yeah. So uh, again, with this project, this project, it was a pretty big project. And and, um, we had a situation where we had hired some people to film, you know, the first country, which was, or the first two countries, Nepal and India. And um, 
I can't really talk about what happened because of agreements and, and lawyers and such, but it didn't work out, right? Something happened and all of a sudden, two weeks before we were leaving to Nepal, gone, right? Now, I don't know if you ever gotten a visa before, but visas take longer than two weeks. So they were gone and I had to convince the people that were paying for this that this was going to be okay. And and honestly, it was the obstacles the way. I, I The second I have a problem, I stop. I put that in my headphones. I go take a walk. And and in that book, it tells you that um, it's not when a bad thing happens, it's not a bad thing. It's a uh, it's a moment to be able to reposition your footing. It's an advantage. So this happened. So what's the advantage of this happening? And so I was able to sit and brainstorm and figure out all the good reasons why this was happening. Right. All the advantages. And then um, I got on a call with all the main players and I was scared. I mean, it was just like the whole project was about to hit the ground. It was about to kill the whole project. And I, t- I told them, I told them about obstacles away and I showed them my whiteboard and I told them how this is actually a really good thing and how we're going to gang from this. And this is an advantage to us. And I explained all to them. I explained everything to them. And it just so Nate, Nate Gus, my my right hand man, his cousin is an uh, Emmy winning cinematographer, and he agreed that he would do it. So now we went from a team that weren't uh, award winners to an award winning team. Um, and that was one of the advantages. And the only thing was, is that Jake Gabby, uh, he's out of London. Uh, the only way Jake would do is that Nate would have to go with him, which means I would lose a producer, which I was not happy with. But like, what can I do? So Nate got to go to India and Nepal. And uh, yeah, that's uh, and we overcame and and we did six films and it, it was an amazing project. But that was awesome. that was probably one of the scariest, scariest things. But to be able to see something terrible that's happening as a really good thing and figuring out what the advantages of that is is an unbelievable like it's so valuable that that perspective yeah i mean it's taking that growth mindset to a whole nother level and recognizing that everything's an opportunity it's an opportunity to reevaluate it's an opportunity opportunity. to pivot it's an opportunity to learn and if you see these obstacles as a you know knock you down and out of the fight every time a little bump in the road comes along (laughs) you're you're gonna have a really tough time and i think When I think about people I speak with and leaders I've coached and professionals that I've worked with and worked under, I think about what that journey is like for them. And it's no wonder that they burn out. It's no wonder that they're angry. There's no wonder that they're frustrated. It's no wonder that they're impatient because every little bump is a setback versus an opportunity to pause, evaluate, reflect, reassess, and then say, cool, we got this. And this comes back to sort of like the fakery thing. It it has such a negative connotation to it when you hear it, but it's really about the confidence in yourself, the belief in yourself that even with this setback, even with this little obstacle or this little bump in the road, we're good. We can handle this because on the other side of this, we're better, we're better now because of it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And on the other side of this, there's gold. And this is an indicator that we are actually on the path towards that goal if we just keep running into these challenges because those challenges are there to teach us and reinforce that we are actually on our way. Yeah. And then the unknowns had those people, you know, stayed with us, those original filmmakers, there might've been problems that happened 
that were way more complicated and that we don't even know we don't even know what they saved us from like they yeah. like that happening was was amazing yeah it was amazing because it's down this new road where where we were i mean it, it it's yeah. just it, it, it's the only way to look at things it's, it's, the a, it's only such a healthy perspective it's such a healthy perspective because i think that when you think about the amount of time and energy and effort exerted dwelling on like oh man this happened and what are we gonna do now you're just like okay yeah you can have a moment of that and you're entitled to that let your feelings be what your feelings are gonna be but then let's pivot and let's figure out where we're gonna go from here because this isn't the whole time is money thing but time is money and if you're talking about business then it is but it's also the lessons are right there on the other side of that so run to those don't sit down cross-legged on the floor pouting because there was a little bump in the road. And I think when you can think about that from a business perspective and leaders leading that way, you're like, holy moly, you're wasting us a lot of time and you're costing us a lot of money and, and talent. And this is not a way to lead. So when you, when you think about leadership Ian, and this is a, our final question, I'm mindful of time. So as you think about leadership, What's one area of particular importance that you think leaders should focus on? That one thing that is really essential to leadership. I, I, I have to go back to compassion. I mean, it is everything, really. Because when you think, when you, when you treat, like, treat others how you want to be treated, you know, and I want to be treated with compassion, it translates to so many things, and it's so important. Because when your people love you and you really look out for their well-being, I mean, that goes above and beyond. You can't even imagine. You don't even know what their day is like and, and how that influenced them to be nice to somebody else or help somebody else. And that's a virus that you want to spread, that compassion mm -hmm. virus. That's what you want. You want that. You want to be able to be compassionate to everybody around you and have that chain off all the way around to you um, walking up to a door and and somebody grabs the door. I mean, maybe maybe the nice things that people do for me later in that day happened because of that compassion I gave. And it just fed all the way through. I mean, I'm compassionate with people on customer service calls. You know, one of the things I like to say at a customer service call, when they say, I'll be right back. I always say, take your time. And they love that, you know, like I get all like, take your time. And I love to have conversations about where they are and in real life and all kinds of stuff. And they'll, they'll hook you up. You know, I'd say compassion throughout, through just leadership, everything. It's just the most yeah. important thing. And, and being compassionate to yourself, of course. Is... Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, you're speaking my language when you're talking about compassion. And I think that there are a lot of leaders out there. If they heard that, or we were having a conversation about it, they would say, yeah, but you know, that's way down on the list of priority for me. And and why? I would question right, why? And why? how's that, that working the, out for the, you? Yeah. Yeah. How's yeah. that working out for you? <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's you know, a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, if I'm compassionate to people all day long and I really need something from them, they're gonna give it to me. They're gonna deliver. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But if I'm rude and and I don't care about people, are they gonna are they going to show up? Are they going to bring their A game? Are they going to deliver? No, yeah. how could they? The thing is, is that when somebody's when somebody's working, you don't want them thinking about drama or money 
or anything else. You want them thinking about the work. Yeah. And if you are creating a, an environment that's having them think about anything else, you're not going to get their best work and you're yeah. going to lose them. Exactly. Well, and like you said, what better ripple effect or tsunami to create of love and compassion than that? Because when they leave work after a day of drama and being belittled and stress and anxiety, how do you think they show up as husbands and wives or mothers and fathers or sons and daughters? And I always talk about that because I think as leaders, if that's not present for you in your mind, you're really missing the impact. It's that whole with a great power comes great responsibility. It's like maybe you don't have great power, but you are in a leadership role and that leadership role requires of you to be a compassionate person and to see these people as people because at the end of the day what they need from you is just that at its core and then you build out from that that's exactly right there's nothing else i mean that's literally the only thing that's going on right now you know yeah. i mean yeah. otherwise we're we're passing around fake money's a made-up thing and yeah what we're doing we're building it doesn't none of it matters the, the only thing that's real is the love that you show other people and you can be compassionate and and have a hard conversation with somebody that's um right. it doesn't doesn't take away getting the things done it just adds it adds good feeling to it. It adds vibe, adds love, you know? And, yeah. and so they can, if they go home and, and they're mean to their wife or not compassionate or whatever, they, they go, guess those people are going to reflect to them. And so that's going to put them in a bad mood and they're going to show up the next day, not thinking about the work because they're thinking about some thing that happened at the, at home or something that hold, you know, what, whatever happened. And it's all a reflection of what's going on in their own head. Yeah. And so you want to make their experience, their day-to-day experience easier, and it's easy to do it. Yeah. It doesn't cost me any more money to be compassionate. Yeah. I used to tell my teams when I would start with, with them, either as a team member or a team leader, I would say, look, we're a family. <laughs> I know this sounds hokey, but we're a family. I'm about to spend more time with you every day in this office than I do with my own family. I see my family at Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm seeing you eight, nine, 10 hours a day, all day, every day. The least I can do is show you a bit of compassion and love and respect. Let's just start with that, you know, and then we build from there. But you mentioned compassion and conflict and how you bring compassion into difficult conversations to diffuse or disarm the person you're speaking to is really huge. I feel like we could have a whole episode about that. But I am mindful of time. I want to give you a chance to to let people know how they can connect with you or how they can find the work that you do or more about the company. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would suggest everybody to go check out She Creates Change, the official trailer on YouTube. Uh, it's an amazing project we worked on and we're still pushing on. The, the films will be released on March 8th. Um, we'll, we'll make an announcement where there, where you can watch those. They'll be released here in America and across the world in 40 different languages. And then, yeah, if you want to check out my company, moonshinemediagroup.com, a lot of letters in there. There's a shorter version, moonshine.pictures, which is the documentary side and Moonshine Media Group is the business side, the corporate video stuff. So yeah, anything you need, if you want to call and talk, my phone number's on there, feel free to give me a call. Um, yeah, if you need any motion graphics, documentary films, We'd love to hear about it. Awesome. And I'll drop all those links with those many, many letters in the show notes so people can find them in the show notes. But um, 
Yeah, man. I love you, buddy. And I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I love you too, man. Seriously. And I'm glad we got to have this conversation. I know all about you and your fun and wild and often inappropriate stories that we didn't have to even get into uh, in this <laughs> in this podcast, but your leadership journey is really inspiring and your commitment to your passion and the years that you spent working towards this goal and towards the success that you now enjoy and that you get to create for others. I mean, it's not just like your own success, but the success that you get to create for all those other people who are working with you and for you, it's inspiring. And it's inspired me to do what I'm doing with my own business and my own coaching and are proud of you. And it's nice to be able to Thanks, give man. you an opportunity to showcase what that journey has been like for you so that people can see that road that's taking you to where you are now. And also what you are as a leader, what you're made of as a leader too. Thanks, bud. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. So as always, I'd love to hear from you about the episode. What came up for you as you think about leveling up your own leadership game? And please, if you enjoyed the episode, I encourage you to like and subscribe. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Hakeem A. Lockdar or at LockdarCoaching.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Keep being great, and we'll see you next time.